Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Climb 4 podcast. Today's podcast is a recording I did with Bianca sometime in November of last year. I love talking to Bianca. We always got along really well, even from the start. I remember meeting her just before her adventure alongside Leslie on the PCT. And what I remember most is her enthusiasm and her quick wit. It was engaging and, and very enjoyable. And like me, it seemed, especially during the recording of this podcast, I realized that her humor and her good-natured soul uh, kind of masked a traumatic past. And without the conventions of laughter and banter and obstinacy, each uh, disproportionately measured regarding the chaos we previously endured, whether it be childhood, the military, or both, without which we wouldn't have made it. Bianca now serves as the Grant Smith for Climb 4, alongside a stellar team of go-getters, veteran lovers, and all-around American hardcore badasses, Holly, Nikki, Leslie, and now Kevin, packing a walloping punch in the fight against veteran suicides. I'm so very grateful for her support and for her talents and contributions. I'm grateful for her story. I'm grateful for you, the listener, and the supporter of a wonderful cause. This is the Climb Ford Podcast, and this is Bianca's story. Let's let her tell it. Hey Bianca, can you hear me? Come on, you. Okay, awesome. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So you're back in uh, you're back in Washington State now. Yes. How long were you in uh, Virginia for? I was in West Virginia, and so the worser of the Virginias, and um, I was there for ten days. Wow. Okay. What about you there? My sister lives there and my biological mom and my sister just had a baby. So. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. I was, uh, are you, is your first time being a niece or I'm sorry, being an aunt and having a niece? I have two, uh, sisters that older sisters that are stepsisters and they have kids, but this is my first biological, um, niece or nephew. And, He's a boy, and his name is Michael, and he's perfect. That's a great name. That's a perfect name. Yeah, actually. I you think so. <laughs> this is a it's kind of a weird question, but does there does there feel any different having the uh, biological nephew versus uh, the non biological niece? I think it would because I'm so close with um, 
my nieces and nephews of my stepsisters, but it's different. You can see yourself in them when you look at them and there's, you know, mannerisms and, and he's already so much like us. And so it's, it does feel different in that, in that regard. I mean, I don't feel any more of an aunt to him than I do my other nieces and nephews, but it definitely feels a little different. It's so funny you mentioned that because I've got a niece now, Elle. Uh, I think she's turning three soon. And one of the first things we noticed about her is when she goes to sleep, her mouth, her jaw like drops open. And that's totally like a hardened thing. I've done that like my whole life. Yeah, it's some sort of a... so funny. (laughs) Something didn't get weeded out in genetics. (laughs) So I was uh, was kind of going through the timeline of like, you know, everything happening back when you guys did the hike. And that's when I actually got introduced to and and got to know you a little bit before you took off. I didn't realize it had been like so long since we'd even gone without talking to each other until I started writing or whatever you sent me for the, uh, the website. I was like, Oh my God, like I know nothing about what Bianca's up to. Um, but I won't jump into all the details, but so, you know, what, what kind of, you were in the Navy, right? So I always wonder like, you know, what got you into the, into the Navy, like what motivated you? Uh, what it was like there, and, and then what happened afterwards. So wherever you want to pick it up. So what got me into the Navy? Honestly, um, so the only person in my entire family that ever um, served was my stepmom's father. And okay. he was in the Navy, and he was a career Navy, and he was a submariner. And, you know, and so that was the only, but I didn't really have a great relationship with him growing up. So it's not like I had a massive um, influence within my family, but growing up in San Diego, the influence is everywhere. I mean, it's a massive military town. And so I was always kind of interested in the idea of serving. Um, and then, you know, my family grew up we were lower middle class. We were paycheck to paycheck. We, um, from a very early age, my parents made it very clear that if we wanted to go to college, it was something we were going to have to put ourselves through or do for ourselves. And, um, so I had tried to apply for college and I was denied financial aid because I was dependent upon my parents and, they made too much, but really made way too little. And, you know, it's the way that the flawed financial aid system often goes. I was, I was denied, you know, my financial aid. I I passed all the entrance exams. I did everything I needed to do academically, but financially I couldn't do it. And so it was kind of this moment for me where I realized that if I didn't want to be drowning in, in debt for the rest of my life for, for, um, student loans and things like that, then I really was going to have to figure out a better way for myself. And the military kind of presented itself. And I wasn't ever, I wasn't supposed to join the Navy. I actually initially went to um, the army recruiting station and, you know, it's kind of fucked up to say, but uh, they were really, really dumb. Like I walked in and the girl that was sitting at that desk, she just, I couldn't even believe that she was the person that they had sat there to represent that office. And I I walked out and I was at this weird moment that I had where I was like, is this real life? (laughs) Like, you know, it can't be right. And so um, in San Diego, they have the offices, the recruiting offices are all of the branches in one building. And so I was like, well, I'm already here. I might as well go talk to somebody else. And the only other office that was open was the Navy. (laughs) Reason that I ended up in the Navy over uh, any any other branch, 
was because they were open and the lady sounded like she knew what she was talking about when I walked in and I took the um like that first day I walked in and I took the uh the um like practice ASVAB and I did really well and she was like you know come back in tomorrow multi you know and she was stayed on top of it and so I felt like you know that made sense for me yeah and so that you know that's kind of what got me in the door of the military and then what was yeah, so, well, even before that, like, why did you want to go to college? Were you a uh, first generation? Um, yeah, so no one, I mean, half my family didn't even graduate high school. Okay. I mean, you know, and so um, I had known that I wanted better for myself. I just didn't know what that looked like at the time. And we are part of a generation that was so deeply and heavily um influence to go to college you wouldn't have a life if you don't go to college you you know get a degree you know and and I mean I think that we were kind of screwed over in that way because now a lot of people are, do have degrees and they are are drowning in, in debt and there's still no jobs and you know they want you to have a, a bachelor's degree and then they're still going to pay you I mean next to nothing and it's just I think that w we got scammed into thinking that college was the only thing that was, you know, going to get us into a career that mattered um, and that was going to be enough to help us support our families and our lives and things like that. But um, so I think that that's where I was, you know, what drove me to want to go to college so heavily in the beginning. Um, and I just wanted to be educated. You know, I think that education is so important and it's so um it matters so much and, and it, and it holds so much weight, you know, you can really do a lot as long as you just educate yourself and know what you're talking about most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time. Uh, yeah. Big caveat for me. Yeah. I always, I didn't know really what an education was for the longest time. I thought it was show up to class, you know, regurgitate some stuff on a test and yep. pass. <clears throat> um, there's some head fakes that we get along the way. You know, we think we're doing one thing, but what it turns out is we're learning how to show up for time, show up on time most of the time, yeah. uh, you know, have some sort of present some sort of material, you know, some of the times it's like you can get by on 70%. That's what I learned from college is I can yeah. get by with not putting a whole lot of effort into it. Um, and that doesn't even feel good, you know, and, and I don't know, like what matters. Is it what I know that matters? I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you like 80% of what I've gone through in, in psychology and I'm about to have a master's, yeah. right? but the people I've interacted with, you know, the skill sets that we get out of it, I think that's real, really the education. And, and some people are just, they're brilliant. They're, they're very, yeah. they, they read and they understand, they comprehend and they, and they connect dots with things. Um, but to be sold that is like the only bill of goods, of course, you know, it's, it's disingenuous and unrealistic. But well, you, you pick up on that early on. And I think that the way that high school education is, and that's the last step before college, right? And so you're going through high school education and you're like, I can't do this for, for, you know, and that's the way I felt in high school was I showed up, I did the work and I still wasn't at the level of these other people. And I felt like I'm never going to make it through college, you know, for, for a while, I really felt like that. I felt like, you know, and then I started talking to, to more people about, college and and they really helped me understand that it's completely different I mean you don't go to a class and you know in high school it's you get swept under the rug a lot I feel and and um if you don't learn the way that your high school teachers teach then you're not 
gonna it's not gonna work for you it's not going to be successful for you and and i had to put in so much extra work just to pass because i'm not i don't learn that way you know and, and it wasn't it wasn't successful for me in in high school and so that felt really heavy and and i just didn't understand how people were so successful in in school and and things like that because it just it was never like that for me yeah i i was always uh i was always so bored by it it's just mm-hmm. nothing really nothing really excited me about it and then like i'm supposed to be making good grades and and that's the only indication of anything i've done with my life at that point is whatever some two digit number on a piece of paper. So I leave high school not knowing any better. I had like a I don't know a three maybe a two nine. Two yeah, I was. Grade. I mean, I was. I was right there yeah. too. <laughs> so I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. But later on, when you learn to apply yourself, like you can change anything you want. Um, but yeah. it's that process in particular that I think is is the most rewarding, the most challenging, and it's 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 by far the most educating, uh, as you put it. Is that what you got in the Navy though? Uh, I mean. In the Navy, are you talking about like education in the Navy? Just like a different kind of education. We're not talking scholastic as much as no. it is a yeah. lot of personality and types. Yeah. <laughs> even in their actual school courses. So I was a machinist mate. And so I dealt with the, the you know, top side mechanics of the ship that I was on. And I, one of the courses that I had to do was elevator technician. So I went all the way back to Chicago for C school, went to elevator tech school. And I mean, you're only there for, I mean, I think elevator tech school was, you know, only a few months and it's like a full course that they jam into these few months that you're there. And it's the hardest and most exhausting thing. And you literally are just packing the information in as much as possible. And then praying that you pass that final exam because that's, you know, and that's all it takes to get your, certificate and I mean I wouldn't trust an electrician that was trained by the Navy to come and fix the electricity in my house you know unless they went to like extra schooling and they you know were a career electrician you know I think that there are definitely with time you learn more and but right just basic schooling I mean you could sure you could fix some of the things on a boat but I wouldn't trust you to fix those things in my house because I know how Navy education goes I know that you know a lot of it doesn't it's, you know, you just retain it for as long as you need to regurgitate it and then data dump it. And that's what the, my dog's playing with his little pig. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog you have? Um, he's a German Shepherd Pitbull. Okay. Oh, nice. She's holding the dog up to the camera. <laughs> yeah, I know that you guys can't see that, but he's very, very cute. <laughs> very, it's adorable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like you get out of these A schools or C schools and you don't know shit. I mean, some people yeah. pick it up pretty quickly. And even though I scored well on some of the stuff, like I had a job I didn't want to do even. Yeah. So really it's like they have, I don't know if they called it this for you, but um, it was a journeyman program for us. Yes, we think uh, that, yeah. yeah. Same exact concept. And when you do your job, I think over and over again, a lot of that becomes, you know, kind of a rote memorization. You start getting a feel for it. Um I didn't get that at the time because I just, I didn't want to do that. But how yeah. long did you work that job for? And why did you pick machines, mate? So I didn't pick, my Navy career is a little, <laughs> it's a little bit of a wild ride from start to finish. I'll tell you that. Um, so 
briefly, I had joined as an IC man, an interior communications electrician. Okay. And um, they do like the phone lines and the television on the boat. And they're the people that like choose what movies you get to watch in the middle of the night and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, their job is a lot harder than that, but sure. I, um, <laughs> I got kicked out of a school um, and that came from, so I was in my ICA school class and um, there was a, a girl that was in that class with me um, and she was having a hard, really hard time in the class and she was not understanding a lot of it. And I was um, first in the class and I felt like, you know, I was understanding it and she wasn't. So why wouldn't I help her, you know, to understand it more? And um, I had been talking to her about some of the courses and I didn't realize that she was in the middle. So there was like different like tiers of quizzes and the smallest tier is just like after the course, you read a course, you do like a little quiz to make sure that you're understanding just what was in that little, little section. And there was this guy who was second in the class just below me. And he took it upon himself to tell the professor, you know, the teacher of that class that um, we were cheating during a test. Mm -hmm. And you're in a school, straight out of straight out of boot camp, and they don't really give a shit if you're telling the truth or not. If they feel like it might be the truth, then they're just going to run with that. And that's kind of, you know, you don't know any better for yourself. You don't know that you have the right to fight for fight for your career. And we were so scared because you're still in that phase where people think that you're absolutely nothing and they can talk to you like you're nothing. And um, so they took our everything away from us because of this. Yeah, and yeah. we lost our contracts. We lost our jobs. We lost our barracks, everything. <laughs> and we became undesignated firemen at that point. Wow. Because somebody said something and we didn't know better than, you know, we didn't know to fight for ourselves. And we were just scared to, uh, sorry, we were just scared to fight. You know, we were scared to um, do what was right. And so we lost everything. And, hang on just a second. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no worries. All right, cool. Thanks. Um, you hit the new button? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> um so how how close were you to graduating and, and moving on to your your first station so we were pretty close i feel i mean it's it was a long time ago now and it was it's something that i kind of have tried to move on from because it was really devastating at the time and that was also when something else was happening to me um and it just felt very big and heavy and like i didn't I didn't know anything about myself during that time. And I was stuck in um, holding. We were stuck in holding for, I think, like six months after, mm -hmm. you know, going through all that process. And we didn't have a job. We didn't have anything, you know, to do. We were just stuck in, in the holding process. And then after we became undesignated, they sent us over to other barracks to do, you know, the undesignated fireman um, course, you know, which is just a couple of weeks. And we actually ended up, she and I, the girl that um, I was helping in that class, we ended up on the boat together in San Diego on the Comstock. Like they sent us to the same ship. They're like, oh, you guys are friends. Or be sent to the same ship. And like, we didn't know each other prior to that moment. 
became really okay. great friends after that, yeah. but it nice. was really interesting. Nice. So. Yeah, shitty situation yeah, though. Dude, I know. He just goes under the bus. Number one, number two, they don't even question it. They're like, "Oh well, okay, you were cheating, like whatever." It's yeah, easy it's, to it's just say now, that. Yeah. It seems so ridiculous looking back now, right? You're like, it you're gonna take an entire, yeah. entire career path away from someone, which ultimately, I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, it was, it was a little unfair, but I think that I, I believe wholeheartedly that everything happens for a reason and. I don't know that right. I would have felt fulfilled in that job. And, you know, I wouldn't know half of the stuff that I know now. I've learned so much being a machinist mate. And so it's, I'm, I'm thankful for the way it all turned out. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's a very, it's a very interesting concept. And one that, you know, I, I think to myself quite a bit is, is everything happens for a reason. And usually we say that when something really shitty happens yeah. <laughs> to like, maybe to kind of convince myself that there's something good comes of it. But what I do know to be true is, it does always play out the way it's supposed to be. And it does always end up, you know, somehow working out better than if I had planned it myself. And, and I'm always grateful for that. Um, so you got on this fireman, undesignated fireman uh, track, and then you do the, the, the two week course, and then you go to the mm-hmm. comp stop. So mm-hmm. what was what was that like? What was it like being at your first duty station? It was You're a real sailor. Now. It was the scariest shit. I won't even lie. I was terrified. So, um, well, the other girl, we got sent to the same ship, but I had got sent there a week earlier than she had. So I was there first and I knew absolutely no one. It was the first time because you build these friendships in boot camp and then you go straight over to A school. So in A school, you still know the people that you were in boot camp with. You have, you know, these same friendships, but it felt like my first day of boot camp all over again. I knew no one. I knew nothing about where I was. I was completely, I'd never been more uncomfortable in my life than those two days. And so... I walked on and um, our ship was at the shipyards when I got there. So even that was abnormal. Everything that I had spoken to people about um, that had gone to boats prior, they went straight to their boat, you know, on at the Navy base, but we were in the shipyards. And so we lived on a barge across the pier and then across, you know, the, the ship was across from that and everything was, tagged out and everything was under construction we were completely in the middle they were like completely tearing the whole boat apart and that's and so, that's part of the, the life cycle of the boat right like it, yes. it it goes through that period where it goes in the shipyard and then it goes back out to sea and all that good stuff so you yes. came in in that period how long does it stay there for well it depends we i think that was the time when they were like taking the boilers out of the ship they were i mean it was full and total under construction we had no um, nothing on the ship worked at all. And we were, I didn't get out of the shipyards, I think until a year after I got to the ship. I mean, that was the lifestyle that I knew for the first year of my, of my sea duty career. And it was crazy. You know, it's, it's completely unlike anything that they tell you that the Navy's going to be like, right. You're not on a boat. Like serving your, you know, it's like shore duty at sea. And it's really, I mean, as a brand new, <clears throat> as a brand new fireman going onto the boat, I just, I got to learn a lot that I probably wouldn't have learned about like the equipment when it's down and how to, how to bring all that. We had to bring every piece of equipment back up. And that only happens when the ship's in the yards. And so if you don't go through a shipyard period in your career, you're, there's a lot of stuff that you actually miss um, learning about, especially as an engineer. 
And so I learned how to bring every single piece of our equipment live and that's filling it with all of its fluids and, and checking everything and making sure that everything worked correctly. All, you know, um, everything I, from the very, very bottom to the top, you know? And so I'm thankful for, for that, but it was really shitty. Yeah. It's, um, what do you guys do that whole time when you're, you're not on the, you're on like a different boat. Like what are you guys doing? So we do duty sections and you still have to stand your watches and things like that just to keep, um, like some sort of, of, of regularity. And, and so you don't forget how to do your job, but, um, we didn't, I mean, we cleaned a lot, which is not abnormal for, (laughs) for a Navy career, but, um, we did a lot of learning and we did a lot of, um, classes and courses and, and a lot of people went to college during that time because it's a great time to do your, your, your courses and things like that. So, I mean, really though, not much. Yeah. Did you go to, did you take any classes in that time? Um, so I took a lot of classes for my job. Okay. You know, we, we did a lot of, um, cause I knew pretty early when, as soon as I got to the boat, they asked me what shop I wanted to be on, be in. And I knew that I didn't want to be in the main spaces. I knew I didn't want to be down, you know, in the, in the pits and things like that, just cause I, I do struggle from, from, I struggle with my mental health and I knew that, that, that was something that I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to, um, combat and, and, and really be successful at. And so they gave me the choice to be uh, what they call the top site engineer. And so our shop was with like the whole technicians and the, you know, the welders and like the, that whole side of things. And we worked pretty closely with the bosun's mates. And, and so I liked the idea of being able to go outside pretty much whenever I wanted. And a lot of our evolutions and a lot of our job was outside on the, on the, you know, in, I'm so thankful that I picked it because I, it was an amazing career. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think it would have been like if, uh, if you had been down the pits and what does that mean in the pits? I don't, I don't know anything about boats. Thankfully. (laughs) So, I mean, your engine spaces are in the deep, deep depths of the boat. You have to go all the way down. You know, you have your, your, um, auxiliary spaces and your main spaces and that's where your your engines and your um, generators and all that stuff is and so when you're standing watch down there you're down in this it's loud especially when the boat is is running um, yeah. everything is so loud you have to wear double your hearing protection and you have to it's hot as hell and you have to stay down there for hours and hours and you're standing watch down there at least when we stood watch, it was a roving watch. So we got to walk around the boat and check our equipment and ensure it was working correctly and that we were, there were no, you know, leaks of any kind or anything like that and just ensure all spaces were, were normal. But those spaces, you're down there for hours at a time just taking readings off machines. And I mean, I would, I would have gone freaking crazy. I would have lost it, my it, mind, I'm sure. It, it, it sounds horrible. Um, and it almost to me it reminds me of like a like a submarine type of career because you are in the same space and you can't get out of it most of the time and you if you're in the middle of doing something you can't even leave to eat or go to the bathroom half the times you know and god forbid you smoke cigarettes because you're oh, yeah yeah you're definitely, 
can you talk about that? What it's like to have to walk around the boat? It's not just like going through doors and, and you know, like you would in a normal house. It's a totally sure. different experience. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. And I always recommend that people, if you're interested in, in knowing what it's like to walk around a Navy boat, there are plenty of videos on YouTube and they're just people holding their, you know, phones or whatever and walking through the boat. And it's really spectacular to watch um, and, and to, to see, um, what it's like because it's it's so impossible to explain but imagine being in a narrow metal room with you know um doorways every so often and my ship was shaped in like the shape of a u because we transported marines that was our main purpose and so we had what was called a well deck and so the center of our ship was hollow and we would ballast the ground into the water, bring on marine craft and, and things like that, and then bring it the, the boat back up and take off, you know? So, the, but where we actually, all of our equipment and stuff was on the outside of that empty space. Mm-hmm. And there are videos, I, I know a couple of people that put videos of our deployments and stuff like that on as well. And so you could even just put Comstock deployments and there's so many incredible videos, but um, it's, it's unlike anything and everything just always smells like metal and fuel and oil and you know it's it's quite the life i will tell you i i remember uh we weren't on there for very long and the way you get around is it's there's a series of numbers and letters over the doors oh yeah i still can't tell you what they are i couldn't tell you what they mean i knew like there's a circle with a w in it and that one was like closed at night i might not even be getting that one wrong i don't even know (laughs) It was it was it was fucking impossible to get around. I, I memorized how to get to the gym, to the chow hall, yeah. and, then, and then back to my rack. I did nothing else for like I don't know. I was on there for two months. I did pretty hard. Yeah, um, you were on there for, like most people are on there for like twenty years or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, becomes yeah. Like well, life. and it's like you do usually do a rota- sea- seashore rotation, and so you do yep. like four five years at sea, and then you go to shore duty for like three years or so, and then you go back to and no, there is some rotation but yeah. it's funny that you say that about not knowing how to get around the boat because like i said before our whole ship's purpose was to um, transport marines and now watching the marines come on board and trying to figure out where the hell to go and how to even get back like you would find marines just wandering around in the most random parts of the boat and you're like are you lost and like i'm trying to go back to my you know my rack i'm trying to go to the birthing and i'm like you aren't even on the same level you need to be on and you're not even on the same side of the boat you need to be on like let me help you you know yeah you find these random marines just lost all everywhere exactly that's how it felt for us too like i yeah. get there and be like Hey, is, uh, is this one go outside? I think this one goes outside. And they're like, no, dude, it's that one, uh, 3-0. And they, they use all the terminology. I'm like, that sounds nice. And then I, I just continue to stay lost. So I didn't yeah. remember very much. Um, but you they probably usually, got used Like to you that. said, they usually memorize the uh, gym, the chow hall, and the ship store, and how to get back to their birthings. And then that was about it. Keep oh, and the smoke deck. They all smoked, so yeah, they yeah. get out there. Yeah, have to. Did you find yourself uh, kind of acclimating to that very quickly? to the boat life so like i said when i first got on the ship i kind of got like phased into boat life because um we were on the barge and that was that didn't feel as big that felt you know like manageable it it was pretty small you knew exactly where to go you knew where you slept you knew everything and then um as we started getting the ship back up and running we would it was little by little. So I actually got to memorize how to get around pretty easily. 
And so it felt, it felt pretty simple for me. I couldn't imagine like these people that go to aircraft carriers as their first duty station. And I can't, I can't even imagine even now. So the only aircraft carrier I've ever been on um, is the Midway in San Diego, the museum. And even that they tell you where to go. And I still feel lost all the time. And I'm like, we go up somewhere and I'm like, how the heck do we even get here? And I've been on a ship, you know, I know what that's like, but it's, it's too massive. Yeah, it's even the concept of an aircraft carrier. I was on a, a destroyer or a frigate. No, a frigate. We That's had like the smallest ship. Yeah, it's like yeah. one of the smallest ships in the Navy. <laughs> exactly. That's the one I got put on, and I still got lost, number one. Number two, it was still just, it sucked. But imagine something that's now 10 times that size and having to get around like anywhere in there. Like, I just, I don't know how they do it. It's like, it's a floating city. It really is. Literally, yeah. literally. And I mean, a lot of people say that they prefer once they've been on a, a carrier, they prefer the carrier life because it's so much less personal. Not everyone is in your in your business and you can have a kind of a life. But I've also heard that there are people that served entire deployments and there were people serving on their ship that they never met on an entire and I can't even yeah. imagine that because living, you know, on on the Comstock, there's such a small um population on that boat you know everyone even the marines when they're on board you know you meet everybody at some point and i can't even imagine spending you know nine ten months on the same vessel as someone and never meeting them because right, it's right. so large how many people were on comstock oh don't quiz me i don't freaking remember um i think it was uh, i think it was like in the 300s for navy and then around yeah. the same amount of Marines came on board. So we about doubled our, um, like, ship's crew when the Marines came on board. Um, but when it was just us, yeah, I believe it was, I don't, don't quote me because I actually don't remember, but I think it's around, around the 300s. What do you guys do, like, when you're not on watch, when you're not walking around, you're not getting lost? Like, what do you do for any downtime? Well, I didn't have much downtime because I was our 3M um, manager, which is our maintenance program. And so I managed the entire maintenance program. I made sure that everyone did their maintenance. I made sure that everyone knew what their maintenance was. I made sure that, and that's a weekly thing. So, I mean, by the time you, you print out the maintenance sheets the first day of the week and all week you're ensuring everyone's doing their maintenance correctly, because at at the end of the day, that all falls back on, on, on you. And then come the end of the week when you'd feel like, okay, everything's done, whatever. Well, then you're preparing for the following week and you have, um, you know, where you have to redo all of your books and ensure that all of the maintenance is accurate and then all the sheets are in the books. And then you have spot checks where you've got sometimes the commanding officer coming down and wants to, to take a sailor that's done his maintenance and they want to stand in front of that sailor and have that sailor, you know, explain what the maintenance was, how he did it, all the equipment that he used. And then sometimes they'll take them to the piece of equipment. And, you know, so that's really nerve wracking, especially for your junior sailors that are like yeah. just terrified to even be around the commanding officer. And so, you know, it's a lot of stress. And so I didn't get, especially in deployment, I didn't get a lot of downtime. I did that, you know, I I worked a lot on the 3M program. Um, But we did have, you know, we had multiple gyms on the ship, which was really nice. I think on your, on yours um, being so small, you probably only had one. We had one. We had a couple lifting gyms down in the lower spaces. And then we had some cardio gyms up top where the birthings were and we had a grappling room and we had, cause we had, you know, the, the Marines did their um, MC map 
stuff. And so we did that kind of stuff. And then people, um, we had classes for um, the people that had to get OC sprayed. And we had classes for, um, you know, if you wanted to take religious classes or, um, you know, things like that. And you were always working on your career. That's the whole point. So you're doing, if I wasn't doing 3M, I was, I was working on my um, East-West qualifications. And so you're, you're trying to just jam as much information and that's all information about the boat you know mostly you're learning i mean how long the boat is how many ballast tanks how much fuel it can hold i mean how how you know how many square feet is the flight deck i mean you're just pounding in the information and it's it's thousands of facts that you have to memorize and then on top of that you're learning about like you know the who's the chief of the navy and who's you know all these these really high up people and it's a lot a lot a lot of work yeah i I I don't know how i did it then because there's no way i could do it now my brain isn't even wired the same way no my my brain's a piece of shit these days (laughs) back then i was like super can't be the same brain that i used back then there's no way i was thinking that earlier today i'm like because i i kind of i tend to drop the ball on some things recently which i I don't like telling people that but it's just yeah because i always want to put so much on my plate and then I'm, i'm exhausted and blah 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 and all this other stuff right tough yeah. life <laughs> tons of opportunities but then uh i look back on those days and you made me that made me think of it like i'd be doing nc pace so we're taking uh college classes while i'm on the boat i'm yep. work, working on my it was an awas or whatever the air warfare specialty thing uh, but i took it seriously it's like look this like it counts on an exam like i'm gonna be like a good dude that does good things well at least that was kind of the mindset that i had uh it sounds yeah. like you're very similar with that like it's sometimes you get passionate about what you do just because you have to fucking do it and you're going to do it right. And I get right. that feeling from you. So when you, how were you, yeah, you given 3M? What was that? Were you given 3M or did you just like take it? Like, well, how did that work um, out? So my chief and I didn't really get along. I'm very stubborn and um, I'm also the kind of person, which is uh, ultimately I had the hardest time with the military is that a lot of things didn't make sense. We were doing things that were, you know, these antique ways of doing them. And it didn't make any sense. I mean, why are we still doing this this way? If it doesn't, there's a, a much easier and better way. And I was always given the answer of that's how he's, that's how we've always done it. And I didn't yeah. like taking yeah. that as an answer. And so, um, I, 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 but it heads with my chief a lot because he was very old school, very, had been in the Navy for, I mean, he was a salty, old, angry motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like he was yeah. that guy. He was like, you know, mechanic, down and dirty, hated his home life, kept us there until 11 PM most nights because he just was that kind of chief. And I came in trying to bring a new way of doing things that made more sense and, and, you know, allowed us to have more, um, time to do the things that mattered and he just he didn't like that yeah he's probably like, oh, here again. yeah right <laughs> another one that's got a great idea yeah yeah and so 3m was kind of my way of of helping out without have you know because you can't really change much when it comes to 3m it's very regimented they send you i mean everything down to the pages that are in your books everything yeah. is is what they've chosen and um, so I didn't, but I, I got to organize it and make it so that it worked better for our division. And I really appreciated that I got to, to help out in that way. Yeah. Did you get recognized for that? 
So yeah, when I left the boat, um, I left pretty suddenly because we, in 2017, we were supposed to go back on deployment. And um, maybe it was actually end of 2016. And I had been having complications with my heart. I didn't know what was going on, but every once in a while I would get these flutters and they would make me nauseous and they would make me dizzy and I could, and it would last for quite some time. And then I would have this pain in my heart and then everything felt normal. And so I actually started having those coming home from my first deployment. And I had told Navy medical, which, you know, like I said, I wouldn't trust um, an electrician to come in my house and fix my electricity. I don't, you know, these uh, Navy medical did the best that they could with the education that they had, but it was also really hard because it would seem very streamlined. You know, they didn't have education on like specialty stuff and like, right, you know, right. so initially they thought that my heart was um, vertigo and they had given me some pamphlets and education on how to quote unquote fix vertigo, but you can't really fix vertigo like that. So I tried, I did, I did my due diligence and I did what they asked me to do and it didn't go away, obviously. So then I went back and at no point during all of this, did they ever do any um, EKGs or, you know, even listening, the, the simple task of just listening to my heart to see what I was talking about. No one ever did that. And yeah. so, and I, you know, then after about a month of the vertigo treatment not working, um, I went back and they said, well, we think that you have anxiety and that you're doing this to yourself and that you're causing these issues with your heart through having anxiety. Now, that was during a time when mental health in the military still really was not spoken of, you know, and, and um, I heard anxiety and I immediately got nervous that they were going to try to like discharge me from the military for having, you know, an issue with my mental health. And so I kind of immediately backed off and, and, you know, was like, well, it, I've been dealing with it this, this long, let's just see if I can just deal with it. And that went on. I mean, for the rest of my career, I just kind of dealt with it. And how long, how long have you been dealing with it? Like from when you were growing up, because it sounds like you knew about this. I didn't this have now. any issues. It's weird because I didn't have it growing up. I didn't have any issues with it at all. It just gotcha. all of a sudden on the way home from my first deployment, I had struggled with you know, my mental health. And that was something that, you know, because I had already struggled with my mental health and then they, you know, kind of used that as the excuse for my heart issues. Um, why I kind of ultimately was like, I just am going to let it go and see if I can just deal with it because I didn't want to rock the boat on that too much. And that sucks, but you know, you do what you have to do and you just kind of try to figure out what is going to help your career and you kind of forget about what's going to help you, you know? Yeah, and along the way, it just kind of builds up. And it's like, we look back on and say, well, you do what we do. Um, but, you know, there's just really not that much support there. And, and the the easy thing to do is just hold it back and hide yeah. it. And don't talk about yeah. it, you know, for a lot of reasons. And one of the most important ones is, you know, I don't want to not have that job. You know, I work right. really hard for it. You know, I, I take a lot of pride in it. There's a lot of shitty parts of it, too. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of good things that go with it as well. Um, so when that all well, comes have- to a point. In medical when they're like when i have a kind of a unique story about why my career meant so much to me at that point okay and um so earlier i had spoken about you know while i was going through getting kicked out of a school i was going through something else as well and um 
I was weeks out of a school, you know, and I didn't join the military until I was 21. So I was, I was legal to drink. I was legal to, you know, hang out. And in Chicago, on the base in Chicago, there is a Sam Adams restaurant. And anybody that's been on that base knows of that restaurant and knows that that's where, I mean, it's, it's on base. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to, it's in, it, they sell beer, they sell, you know, and you can go there, have, have a good time, whatever. Mm-hmm. So my friends and I had done that. We went over there, had some drinks and um, this guy walks in and I'm like, God, he looks so familiar. And I realized, so I was um, the recruit chief petty officer of my division in boot camp. And so I was the front front man, yeah, I was the front man of the the show and I was the face of the the division. And so um, he walked in and he kind of noticed me and I kind of noticed him and I'm like, oh shit, that's my sister division's RDC. Like he was, that that guy was the guy that was leading my other, you know, the other division. And so he walked over and, you know, was being friendly and talking to us and everything. And, and I was felt nervous just because, you know, you're not the whole time in boot camp, you're not supposed to talk to these people yeah. and then you're on a boot camp and it feels the same, but somehow different. And you're like, so, you know, am I allowed to be, you know, talk to yeah. you, whatever. <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's pretty intoxicated at this point and he starts talking about how he's having issues at home and, you know, and it got very personal very quickly and um my friends ended up leaving and i ended up staying and you know it 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 turned into a really awful evening you know and 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 i ended up being sexually assaulted that evening by a man that i thought i could trust because he's supposed to be this guy that you know he's an rdc they're the people that you look up to most in your entire you know in boot camp and and they're very the people that you know you're I trusted my RDCs the whole time I was in. They were they were my my rocks. They were the people that really helped me get through it. And so I I think that I trusted this guy too much, not realizing you know how dangerous it was. And um, I ran back to my barracks that evening and ran straight into the office of I don't remember what they were, but you know I don't remember like first classes and second classes that look over the barracks in, in, right. in a school. And so right. they're like in charge of all the students and making sure that everybody's, you know, staying out of trouble and everything. And I ran straight up into my first class and I just broke down and told them everything. And in the military, there's, there are such things uh, you can, you can report it to a chaplain or someone of medical and it can be kept a secret, but as soon as you report it to someone outside of that um, safe, you know, zone, those those safe people, it has to be reported. Up, it has to go. You know, yeah. everyone else has yeah. to, has to be reported. And so, we went. He he immediately called the base CO and yeah. the base chaplain. I mean, yeah. this was this was really late in the evening, and you know he had did everything he had done everything that he needed to do i i that same evening i got um a sapper advocate i got everything and and everyone was very very helpful and i felt like it was going to go really well and and you know that someone i really felt like someone was on my side so through the next couple of days more people started finding out he was because he was um, a part of the boot camp 
side of things, I had to go back over to boot camp side and go to the um, the Navy legal office over there. And I'll never forget it. We walked in and I'm scared shitless, right? Because you're around all these commanders and this is their, their the highest legal office of um, the boot camp side of Great Lakes. And I'm sitting there and my staff rackets with classes with me and this JAG officer sits right across from me and he says, do you know that RDCs are the top 10% of the Navy? And you just got out of boot camp and this man's been in the Navy for 15 years. And um, this legal proceeding could take up to two years if you decide to pursue this. And that means that you'll have to stay in, in Great Lakes for two years and you won't get to go and have the career that you wanna have. And, um, and then he pulls out these orders and he says, we know that you're from San Diego and we have these orders for you to go back to San Diego to serve, you know, and, and you're gonna lose all of this if you decide to pursue this. And to this day, that's my staff advocate still contacts me and says that he like, he can't even believe that I was spoken to that way because it was, it was really inappropriate, but I was so young, not young in age, but young <laughs> in, in my military career. Yeah. I had no idea. And all I heard that man saying was, you're going to lose your whole everything. You're going to lose everything. And I had already gone through, you know, getting kicked out of a school and right. I had already gone through all this stuff. And they used all of that against me. And they told me that no one was going to blow my favor. And so right then I made the choice to choose my career over my own well-being. And that choice carried on what the rest of my career was like. I gave everything to my career. I, I became my career and I lost everything that I was to my career. You know, and I stopped looking at what was best for myself and I stopped fighting for what was best for myself and I stopped taking care of, of my own, you know, well-being and everything just is So you, you broke but, up right there. Um, so then, oh. Yeah, you broke up just a little bit, but. From what I heard, uh, so they pretty much tried to coerce you into taking this option that's going to get this guy off the hook. Uh, you took it because it's it's an intimidating thing, number one. Number two, you know, you're, you're just in this really shitty situation, just want to get out of it. Um, and then you, it sounds like you just focused on that to kind of distract you from all the shit you didn't want to feel. Yep. And that just led to more and more feeling that and then trying to get away from it. It's and that's very, why, yeah. you know, when that later on when I started having issues with my heart, I had chosen and my own physical comfort. I'm just going to focus on my career. And that way I don't get, you know, pushed out for my mental health now because I've already, you know, chosen my career over myself for so long. And that even came all the way through to when I was discharged from the Navy, I tried to reenlist and when I tried to reenlist, they were trying to make the military smaller. They were trying, they were, it was during um, the very last um, year of President Obama's presidency, and they were deciding to, you know, try to make the mil our military presence smaller. They were, they were, you know, they weren't accepting reenlistments during that time. And so 
I every single look I applied and I applied and I applied. I had I had, um, you know, a Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal. I had a letter of commendation. I had, um, you know, multiple NECs that were really valuable for my job, but it didn't matter. They didn't for my year group. They didn't reenlist anyone. So all this time leading up to that moment, all I was was you know my career, and 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 then it was like all of a sudden it just stopped. And I never really thought of a day you know once I was in the military, I never really thought of what it would be like to no longer be in the military. And so I uh, they just were like, hey, here's you know thank you for your upholding your side of the you know, contract, we've upheld ours, our contract is now over, and we're just deciding not to um, re-up, you know, and, and it just seemed like, all of a sudden, I knew nothing about myself. I was no longer in, in the Navy, I was no longer a sailor, I was no longer, you know, any of that, and all of a sudden, I was just back to being myself and you know when they put when you go into the military they you go through boot camp you go through you know um this this training process and it builds you up over over the course of you know eight to ten weeks of becoming what they want you to be but then there's nothing like that for when you get out of the military you take one class mm -hmm. and that class yeah. helps you write a resume and apply to college if you wanted to go to college or you know do these these things which are those are great but it needs to be more than that because there's no course to help you prepare for what it's going to feel like no one tells you that you're going to feel lost and and miserable and you know like nothing you know nothing is going to make any sense to you and and i got out in june or i uh, know april of 2017 by yeah. july 3rd of 2017 i was in the hospital on a suicide attempt because no one taught no one helped me no one taught me what it was going to feel like nobody you know helped me through those moments and I just, I didn't know how, I had no idea how to, how to combat what all of that was, was going to feel like for me. And, and, and I didn't even know that I had put my, my, you know, my career over myself all those years until it was the very end. And I was like, I, I can't be anything else. Like there's nothing else about me that, you know, it was the thing I was most proud of in life Yeah. was, was my career. And, and then all of a sudden it was over and I just wasn't prepared. Oh, man that I mean it's horrible like it's just such a the the sexual assault, assault thing alone you know is it's get it's its own beast uh, yeah. I've talked to a few others that have had that and it's like you know I understand a little bit just the concept of powerlessness you know of, of just being completely just having your world just ripped apart I, I can't even say that I understand that you know because yeah. I haven't been through that um but I know that it is devastating <clears throat> and uh and you were still like you you pushed that aside and you still stayed in there. What were those, what were the remaining years left like that you were in and you, you had sexual assault behind you, you're trying to move on. And then like, it didn't really sound like it, it really went anywhere. Like it maybe kind of built. Yeah. And it, it, it did build. And, and, you know, I had a rough because my chief and I not getting along and um, I became pretty self-destructive there for a little while. You know, I had, um, 
I had been married and then I had been divorced and um, I felt like the Navy, you know, in some way took that away from me, you know, and because I was so devoted to my career and we were so, you know, involved in workups and getting the ship ready for deployment and things like that during that time that I had no time for anything else. And all of my relationships, not just my marriage, but everything else fell, um, you know, to the side because that we were so dedicated to our, our jobs. And, and then, um, you know, so I became pretty self-destructive and I had, you know, a lot of time during that time where I didn't, even feel like myself it felt like a complete out-of-body experience and to be going day by day you know and and I was on different um I had tried different medications for my mental health and and it just it was very unhealthy that's what I can tell you about that time in my life it was extremely unhealthy right, I developed right. an eating disorder that what you know everyone around me was like oh you look like you look great you're losing weight knowing damn well I'm not going to the gym like we're spending all of our time at work and I was just, I was sick. And there are pictures of myself that I look back at during that time. And I'm like, God, I wish somebody would have stopped and said, that girl looks sick. Because I do look ill, you know? And, and I, was, I was mentally ill. I was physically ill. And I wasn't taking care of any of it. And I, it, you know, looking back at all those pictures, I look like I'm trying to be happy. Like, I look like I'm trying to present myself as, as this happy, lovely person but um I wasn't at all I was so fucking sad you know and no one ever stopped because I think everyone was dealing with their own shit you know and and I didn't have higher-ups that gave a shit so no one ever stopped and said like I think that you need to get some help everyone just kept you know saying that I was doing this wrong or that you know and it felt it felt like I don't know sick yeah I I was just thinking about some of what you said, um, it's like, we're always on the move. You know, we always have to go from A to B and that's, you know, they're either getting ready for deployment or, or, you know, the boat's coming back or there's got to be training needs to be done. There's constantly something to be done. So that doesn't really give, I didn't give me any time at all for myself. I had no downtime. I, I always just felt what I felt and was like, well, who gives a shit, man? Just move on. Yeah. You know, I had no clue what that would become. Um, it sounds like you did a lot of that. It's just like, what else am I going to do? And yeah. then, you know, maybe drink over it or, or try to yep. lose weight over it or some form of control or, or numbing. So you mm-hmm. don't have to feel what you're feeling. Yeah. Because there's nothing else. There's nothing else to do. Right. What else are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. Can't go talk to a psychologist because that doesn't seem like a viable option. Like there's nobody I would want to talk to. You talk about like a therapist. You want to talk about like an electrician from a school not working on the boat. Like I would want, I just, I don't know. I didn't trust him to, to have yeah. my back. And yeah. if I needed something like medication for a disorder, God forbid that like I couldn't even take that because I wouldn't have had to be taking on meds. I had seen people that were told like that you know the Navy mental health is a safe space. You can go there, you could talk to anybody, and then they go and do that, and then it gets turned around and used against them. And I watched people get kicked out for their mental health, for inability to adapt to military lifestyle is what they call it. And it's it's sickening to think about all the people that lost everything because you know they weren't taken care of no one at any point takes a care of your mental health and I don't know if that's different now but it certainly was true then yeah I don't know how it is now either um I doubt it's changed that much yeah you know some people can just kind of naturally take care of themselves you know this whole concept of self-care is 
It's huge. Yeah. Um, I realize that now after having burned it to the ground many times over yeah. and sometimes still walking. And it's, but that's how I've become aware of it. Is I'm slow, but I get there, you know, but when I do get there, I, I actually get it. And uh, yeah. it, it makes so much more sense now. But looking back on that, like there were some things going wrong for a while. Um, and I just, I didn't have the resources. Do you think that was the same with you? Like, like I know, like there were some incidents that, that kind of compounded, you know, you had this, the sexual assault, the, the heart issues. Um, do you think there was anything before that? I'm not trying to reach you. I'm just like looking back on it. Why do you think you didn't ask for help? Um, I think, well, so initially, you know, in boot camp, you go through this phase of, um, it's not even in boot camp yet. It's like your, your processing days, right? You go in and on your, in your application, they say like, have you ever been treated for mental health? Do you have any, you know, and, and, and I had never been um, diagnosed anything up until that point we went as kids my parents tried to you know get us to talk to somebody to just ensure that they weren't you know fucking us up too bad you know and that we had some help but um I wasn't you know I was my sister struggles with mental health pretty heavily and I just felt like as long as I'm not you know that bad it's not it's not that bad and so um and then you get into your processing days and they try to scare you into telling them yeah. you know the truth and so they say you know and and they it's a it's a big thing and they're like you need to tell us you have to tell us right now like it's so important that you tell us if there's anything you know this is your last chance we will find out you have to say it right now you know and like everybody just kind of stands there because you're like fuck like what if they find <laughs> out and I'm like screwed you know it's, it's, it's all just you know, it's all just what they need to do but it felt so heavy and so big that the idea of, of having a mental health um, issue while you served that it was never even, it was a non-issue. It was never even a question of whether I would get help or not, because it just seemed like the two didn't go hand in hand. You had your career and, and then your mental health didn't matter. Or if your mental health got so big, then you didn't get a career. Yeah. And so it, it just, it seemed like it wasn't even a question of whether it would be dealt with or not, or whether I would ask for help or not, because it didn't, it was never made clear that there was help. So. Right. Nor would they have the resources to really do anything about it. Yeah. You have how many people that all, that we all need it. How many people are actually taking advantage of it or could take advantage of it? And, and really no one is. So they're probably not getting much practice to begin with. Well, they, they all say, you know, Oh, you, you can go to the chaplain and talk. And I'm like, have you ever talked uh, to a chaplain before? Yeah. Have you ever actually tried to get actual help from a chaplain? That is not. Well, I had a chaplain that just sat in his office and played the guitar. And I know it's cool. Don't get me wrong. He was an awesome guy. But he's not a trained psychologist. He's just going to sit there and, be, and talk to you. And then, I mean, his, his, his job is to try to give you peace, right? And, and peace through religion is what, what he's trying to provide. And, I mean, I've never been an overly religious person. And so it didn't really ever feel like even that was an option, you know? But that was the option that they gave us was, right. yeah, it's chocolate you can go talk to. What makes him, like the guy that I want to talk to no yeah yeah exactly it's like I, I just don't want to tell anybody yeah and it was the bottom line it's like if I keep this a secret nobody has to know nobody has to question I can blame it on something else and I would continue to do that for a while but it sounded like there's always you know there's a boiling point there's a yeah. point where it's just like you can't go on any further but yeah. did you get that after you left or did you have that already before you're on the way out so um I had felt it during my service but like I said it's kind of one of those things that you just 
one on the ship that I couldn't push myself past and it was coming home it was in between Hawaii and San Diego coming home from my first deployment and I knew that I was coming home you know my ex-wife and I had gotten divorced while I was on deployment you know during that time we had separated and and so it, it was like that final had nothing else to look forward to I was pulling into home port and I didn't have a home to go home to I pulled it we pulled into port and there was nobody on the pier to like ex, you know to to welcome me home after being gone for nine, 10 months, you know? And, and so I knew that that moment was going to happen. And I knew that I, I would, it was like the anxiety was building and building and building for that moment. And in, yeah, in between Hawaii and San Diego, I had this moment where it was just this full blown panic attack in, in a way that I had never felt before. I mean, I felt like my entire body was vibrating and that I just had so much anxiety that I couldn't keep it in my body anymore because I built it for years at this point and um I'll never forget it you know and I'm still very close friends with, with him but he's a marine that I you know grew to love and he was just he was spectacular as a friend of mine um while we were on deployment but um he saw me sitting there on the mess decks and he could just see it in my face and in my eyes and I just like collapsed I, I've never been so incapable of of carrying myself and he picked me up carried me up to medical and said you need to give this girl help because she's she's completely overwhelmed and um you know and then I got scared that that was going to be something that you know it was like all these moments of fear that my mental illness would show mm. you know and that's the way that my my career basically when I was always afraid that my mental illness was showing or that yeah. you know that yeah. it was something that was going to, to turn around and and ruin my life and I was afraid of it I was afraid of my mental illness because of that and I lived in fear of it for the entire six years I served and um but he you know he helped me up there and they gave me some help and they kept me up there for the 72 hours to ensure that I was going to be okay and and, you know, that was kind of a moment for me that it was the first time I think someone that was active duty and was um, in the medical, you know, side of things that they made me feel like it was okay to feel overwhelmed and it was okay to, you know, and, and that was the first time that I really felt like it was, it might not ruin um, everything if I just dealt with it, you know, and, and I had, a, I had one of the Navy doctors there that sat me down and said, you know, if you dealt with the little stuff, when the little stuff comes up, it's not going to get to be this big stuff, you know, and it was yeah. the first time someone yeah. talked to me like a human being and not like, um, you know, a, a sailor that had a career to, you know, to run and everything. So that was, that was pretty scary though. Yeah. I mean, it sounds terrifying. I've, I've had a, I've maybe had a couple of panic attacks my whole life but it was, it was miserable. Like it just, I felt like I couldn't get safe. Um, something was out to get me. Like it was really strange and it came out of nowhere. It, it's not like you might actually time. be like, like you're being choked by yourself. And it's, it's this most, it's the most bizarre. And if you've never experienced a panic attack, it's not even something that you can um, imagine because it's so much worse than you can even imagine. But it's like you are trying to crawl out of your own skin and that you know yeah, like yeah. like you don't even want to be a part of you anymore because it's so awful and you just yeah. want to get out and it's like you're you know and it's it literally feels like you're choking yourself just just from being sick that you're you or that you're feeling this way or that this is real life and then you have the fear that it's going to happen again 
oh, yeah. and it becomes a, a cyclical thing and then it becomes a disorder and that becomes my life. Like I'm yeah. like afraid I'm going to be afraid again. That's just no way to live. So, and this was pretty early on in your career too. You were after your first deployment. So you had yeah, another, what, four years in? So no, and so since we were in the yards for a year and then we did workups, um, only my second, I think the end of my second year is when I deployed first. Okay. Um, and then we came back and then shortly after that, I actually went on a detachment um, to the USS Barry, which is a, a destroyer. And they were out of... Um, Norfolk, but they were doing a UX shift to Japan. So I got to get away from my boat and I got to get away from, you know, it spend a, a few months, you know, with other people. And it actually was really, it was like a breath of fresh air for me. That whole yeah. ship. I mean, I, there was a time when I thought that maybe I want to stay on that ship and not go back to the Comstock and not, you know, because it, that boat saved me in a way that I don't think I could ever be thankful for you know, or like I, I could ever express how thankful I am for it. You know, it's, 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 they were a completely different lifestyle and a completely different crew and a completely different set of support than I had ever experienced before. Yeah, no, people make or break us, right? Like whoever we have to be around, and you, especially in those situations, like you have to be around them. What do you think it was that they were so different from the other boat? I think that I had, so as I said earlier, I became self-destructive during a time in my life on my own boat. And so I had kind of, you know, I had burned some bridges and I had done some really shitty things as people do. And, and so I felt like I had this reputation on my ship that wasn't what, who I really was. It was, it was, you know, who I was during the lowest point in my life. And, and that followed me, you know, for the rest of my career. I mean, it, 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 on that, I never got to redeem myself on that ship because it was so awful at times. Um, but I got to go be myself on the Barry. I got to go be somebody that, you know, who I wanted to represent myself as, and I was completely in a different place mentally. And I, you know, it was just completely different, you know? And, and I, like I said, I didn't have any of that heavy shit carrying behind me and I didn't have, you know, people that didn't like me for reasons that didn't matter. And it just, it was so much more freeing to be there. Yeah. It definitely sounds a lot more comfortable and a lot more safe. Well, I think that being a female in the engineering field was always really difficult for me, especially that I didn't have a lot of, um, experience in um, mechanics. I mean, my dad was a mechanic and I know, you know, I knew the basics, but I didn't have the the deep understanding that it takes pretty, you know, so I had to learn everything from, from the bottom. And so I did that on my ship, but I still, even through learning everything, I, you know, all the guys knew naturally way more. And it always felt like I was like the pesky little sister that was like trying to learn, but they didn't really want to teach me. And more times than I can count, I was thrown a tech manual and told to just figure it out. And that's damn near impossible when you don't know what, you know, you're looking at. So I would go to, to equipment and I would just sit there and I would just look, read through the tech manual and look at the equipment and just try to figure it out. And so a lot of the knowledge that I had came from those kinds of experiences. So when I went over to Barry, um, they, I, I knew a lot of information and I had a lot of education that they appreciated. And so they looked at me as somebody that, I mean, I got a letter of commendation from their commanding officer because of how much I helped their machinist mate shop get their, their shit in order, all their 3M stuff. I mean, 
all their equipment. I, I, I brought things to the table that they appreciated. And that felt so nice because all it takes is one person to say, you know what, like, I think that you're doing a good job and I think that you're, you know, on the right track and, you know, to appreciate you. And it's, it's really all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a way more um, endearing environment when you're around people that number one, you feel appreciated and respected by. And number two, like, I feel like I bring something to the occasion, right? Like I, I've got some experience now. Um, I've got a little, get a little salt on me, right? Yeah. Like I'm bringing, I can actually like help start mentoring people and being of service. Um, so how much longer were you at the Barry and then were you there the rest of the time in the Navy? No. So I was on the Barry. Um, I was only on there for like six months cause we did our, yeah. our, um, they came from Norfolk all the way down and then picked me up in San Diego. And then we went over through Hawaii, Guam, and then over to Japan. And I was in Japan for a couple of months before I flew back. Um, and I went back to the Comstock and when I got back, it was, it felt different because it felt like I had been gone for a while and, um, I had a new lease on, like, I, I was, I didn't have a bad attitude about being at work. I didn't have, you know, I, I had this new refresh of what my career could be. And so, um, yeah, I went back to the Comstock and then I had planned to deploy in late 2016 we had done all the workups all of my stuff was already on the ship everything was packed everything was ready to go um three days before we were supposed to deploy uh they finally got me an appointment at cardiology to see what was actually wrong with my heart and all those years later i found that out that i was born with a heart defect and you know the right side of my heart doesn't operate the way that it's supposed to. So in a lot of times my heart is, is not working together. It's working against itself. And um, the condition is, is called um, ARVD, arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. And so it's just a fancy word for saying that the right, you know, the right side of my heart is it made out of the same tissue and it's not as strong and it doesn't, you can't, um, in the way that you can, you know, build your heart muscles normally, you can't, I can't do that. Yeah. And so because the um, because the doctor didn't know kind of what the plan of action was or how um, like threatening it was to have this, you know, even though I had dealt with it for so long, I had, you know, I was having those the fluttering in my chest. I was having PVCs and my heart was skipping beats. And he, he saw all of that on the scans. And so he decided to pull me right then and there and put me on limited duty. And I only had like, seven months left in the Navy at there. Yeah. And so, um, I had to go back to the boat, take all my stuff that I was supposed to be, you know, in the following days, I was supposed to be leaving for deployment. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to take everything mm-hmm. off, but you know, the boat without me and made me legal. I served out the rest of my, my term and then, and yeah, I you're, you're kind of breaking up a little bit, but are you back? Can you hear me? I think I yeah. lost you. Okay. Okay. I got you now. Um, yeah. So you, you abruptly are told like, Hey, you're not, are you back? <clears throat> I don't know if we have a good connection. <laughs> okay. So you, you come back you and you're like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm on. We'll have to edit like 30 okay, minutes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you come back from, uh, you get, you finally get a car- electrocardiogram after, you know, five and a half years of, of having heart issues. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, you're, you're done. We're yes. going to throw you in a, in a safe place and uh, keep your heart, you know, under wraps 
and just kind of do what you do. But you didn't see that coming. So now you've got to get out and you've no. got six minutes. Yeah. So what was that like? Yep. So I, I served it out in Navy Legal, which was, it was a really cool experience actually, because um, I had done legal work prior to joining the military. I worked at a legal firm and, and I, I enjoyed the work. And so it was kind of a full circle moment for me to be able to go back and do that same kind of work to finish out my Navy career. Um, but it was, it was scary. And it was, I mean, like I said, you know, pretty early on in our conversation, I didn't ever think of a time where I wasn't going to be in the Navy. It just once I was in, I, you know, you join and you're like, I can do this as long as I want to. And then when I'm done, I can choose to be done. But that's not always the case. Sometimes they make that choice for you. And it's it completely caught me off guard. Um, luckily, during that time, I was planning to hike the PCT with Leslie. So we were doing a lot of that planning and, and um, trying to figure out the best way to do that. And it, it kept my mind off of being afraid of what was going to happen, which ultimately ended up being my demise on the PCT was because I didn't deal with anything before. I mean, I got out of the Navy the very next day I flew to New Orleans to see my friend Megan get married and I met Leslie there. And then we drove to um, uh, Nashville to drop off Megan's car. Then we drove to um, Kentucky to stay at Leslie's for a while. And um, then she dropped me off in West Virginia to spend some time with my mom. She went to uh, Virginia, I believe. And then she came back, picked me up, and we drove across the U.S. and started our hike. And so it was all, I mean, I had no time to figure uh, out <laughs> what the hell was going on. I didn't realize it happened that quickly. I, I thought you knew Leslie from prior and you guys have been no, friends so I knew I knew Leslie from the Comstock. I had met Leslie when I first got on board the Comstock. So I had okay. known her for, I mean, that whole time. But right. I, when I said I met Leslie, I mean, I met up with her in, um, she was already in um, Louisiana when I flew out and I met up with her there. But yeah, I, I, I had known Leslie since, um, I first got on board the Comstock is when I met her. But you hit the ground running. Like you literally, like you got out and you're like, when did you decide to, when, when did you start thinking about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and why'd you want I to do that? I think that in the year prior, I think that we had seen the movie Wild and I, and that was what initially, I mean, I don't, I didn't even know what the PCT was prior to that movie. So that was the first time I had been exposed to the idea of long distance hiking and, and, and that that was even a lifestyle that people could choose to have. And, um, and then we kind of jokingly were like, we should do that. You know, we were, we were staying together in an apartment in Ocean Beach and watching it. And I was like, oh, it was so much fun, you know? And it was like a lighthearted little conversation. And then pretty quickly she was like, here's the thing about Leslie. When she's got her mindset to something, I have never seen her fail. Like she is the strongest willed person I've ever met. And it's, it's, it's something about her that I, I deeply wish that I had um, for myself, you know, just this, the will that she has. And so um, pretty quickly, she was like, no, really, let's do this. Like, let's, let's, let's fucking plan it out. Let's fucking go. Let's do this. I'm ready. Let's go. And so I was like, oh shit, we're really going to do this. And um, we did, we, you know, we planned it all out for the following, you know, six months or so. And we did uh, resupply boxes. We did um, 
every single little thing that we needed to take care of, we had taken care of. And I'm still in, in awe of, of how she did all of that because it's incredible. It really is. Yeah, uh, Leslie has, well, she's an amazing person, but she also has some of the most amazing friends. I mean, it's like people that I've met, they come like from halfway across the country to bring her, I don't know, like fucking Snickers bars or whatever, yeah. like just to spend time with her. Like, it's just, it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but I see it happen like over and over again. And I found myself getting uh, coerced into doing the same thing <clears throat> against my own will. And uh, that's what I like. That's what I make her think. But yeah, it's, it's very, it's always great to like be able to help people out. Right. And uh, to have some kind of a aid and assistance when you're going through something that looks shit. You said it looked fun. I remember watching that movie. I was like, dude, fuck that. Like, yeah, walking around the nature is kind of nice a little bit, but that whole way. And the most interesting part about that movie is, is Reese Witherspoon is, is yeah. the character of what she's going through. She's hiking through some shit. The death of her mom, like there's substance use issues. There's a bunch of other stuff, you know, the, the behaviors that we engage in when we have stuff we don't want to look at. I yeah. know that I've engaged in a lot of that stuff and, you know, to have to like, to walk through that stuff, you know, you got to stick on that trail for a while. And, uh, I don't know, did, is that the, is that what motivates you to go on it? So initially I really wanted to, to be there for Leslie. And I really wanted to, you know, be able to say that I had done something that spectacular and that, you know, it, it the whole idea was very, um, incredible to me I just I, I I wanted to be a part of something like that what I didn't know going into it was how lonely it was going to be because even when you're surrounded by people you're still I mean you don't you can't you know listen to music all the time because you don't have charging stations we had um like a, a solar panel but it, we would charge everybody's phone like every few days and so a lot of the time that you're hiking you're just hiking in silence in your own head and all you have to do is to think and think and think and think and be in your own head and replay every moment of your life leading up to that very moment and, and right. it was so much heavier than I had anticipated and it was so much more than I was ready to um, combat at that time and ultimately it's what brought me off the trail because I knew that I had I had stuff I had to deal with outside of that space before I was able to to combat something like that because it was it was so lonely and it was so um, I'd never been so self-aware of my of my my mental state and and what the things that I thought about and the things that crossed my mind and it just, it got really scary at certain times just because I, it was things that I, I didn't know how to, to deal with. And yeah. so ultimately my fear of my own mind is what brought me off the trail, you know, and, and it was, it was the best thing that I could have done just because of what, it forced me to do after, you know, with, with, with going to therapy and then fighting through all of that stuff that I hadn't ever dealt with. I mean, even stuff early, early childhood things that I didn't deal with, it brought all of that to light and it forced me to work through them, you know? And I think that just now we're starting to realize how important it is to talk about your mental health, especially when with like young children and, 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 signs to look for and like I said my parents tried to get us into therapy but 
it was never the, you know, I never felt comfortable or like I could talk to, to the people or that my parents really were going to be supportive because they didn't know anything about mental health. And I'm starting to feel like just now more parents are becoming aware and understanding and there's less judgment about mental health. And I'm so thankful to see that happening because I think it, it's going to save a lot of lives to be able to talk about it at a young age and to understand that, you know, it's okay to struggle with your mental health. I mean, so many, it, I never realized how many people struggle with their mental health because a lot of people don't even talk about it, you know? So I felt alone in it for so long. And I'm realizing now that damn near everybody has something that they struggle with, something, some sort of demon, something, you know, and, and we're not alone. You know, you, you, they're everywhere. Everybody, everybody needs some help sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we ask when it's a little bit too late, mm -hmm. everything's on its way out. I think, well, <clears throat> I think that too late is not what you think too late is. Yeah. You know, I think if you're able to ask, then it's not too late. I know that, you know, I know that some things can, can, um, I think that I've, I've ruined relationships. I've ruined things because oh, yeah. I didn't deal with my mental health. And I think that, yeah, maybe for those things, it's too late, but you know, if you're asking for help, then it's not too late for you. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, everything happens the way it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't mean don't take any action whatsoever. But it's also like for someone like me, like literally everything had to be falling apart. And I, I still was not like, I just, I couldn't do it. I just, it wasn't in my genetic makeup to ask for help. Yeah, even as a little kid, I would just sit there and suffer in silence. I remember yeah. my dad telling me that. He's like, you won't, you won't hear a word out of him. He'll just sit there and suffer in silence. <clears throat> I was proud of that at like five years yeah. old. So yeah. ego and pride like right off the bat. Uh, would play into my hand, you know, very poorly later on, but it would also kind of work in my favor. It, you're on this trail for the first time, like going through this stuff and you're going in there alone. I, I always had people tell me like, dude, your, your, your mind is a bad neighborhood. Don't go in there alone. And uh, it sounds like, and I've, I've had a, a lot of time that was in my own head on deployments and going on patrols and stuff. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, it, it's everything that's like wrong in the world and wrong with me. And it's somehow my fault. Like I don't, yep. it's the only thing that makes sense to me because that's what it feels to be true. And especially with anxiety is it's like, everything's scary. It just, it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I just want to feel good about me. Fear and anxiety feel exactly the same. And yeah. I, you know, a lot of people don't really understand, but like when you're afraid of something, when you're scared and you're frightened, it's the exact same sensation in your body as when you're anxious. But anxiety lasts for so much longer than fear usually does. And so it is, it's just like being afraid all the time. Yeah. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting to be scared of yourself and to be scared of your own um, mind and what it's capable of. What do you, what do you do these days? And how do you feel overall kind of compared to, you know, your time in the Navy and before I feel, I feel good. It took me a long time to, um, to get past not being in the Navy anymore. I mean, I, you know, and it's, it might sound silly to some people because a lot of people I know just looked at it as like a job and they went, did their job and, and went home and, but 
like I really miss it. Like I, I'm one of those people that actually misses. Like I look back on videos of our deployments and I look back on like I miss that time in my life. It it doesn't even feel like that was me to be honest. No. Um, but I finally got to a place where I'm happy outside of that as well. And I, I feel happy that um, I have those memories and then I have that knowledge and that, you know, that's something that I got to experience because not, I mean, basically no one gets to experience it when, you know, it basically, yeah, it's, it's, it was something that'll hold dear my heart forever, but I'm, I'm happy in my own life now as well. I'm getting help for my mental health. I'm staying on top of it. I'm, I'm aware of where I'm at at all times with my mental health. It's something that I've worked on um, for, you know, the past four years since I've been out, I've, I've worked very hard to ensure that I'm constantly um, assessing where I'm at so that I don't let myself fall so deeply into the depths of what my mon- mind can, can take me to, you know? Yeah. And that's, I can, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I've had seen a therapist at least once a week, you know, every week for the past, I don't know, four years, three years. Yeah. Um, I'm going to continue with that for probably the rest of my natural life. Yeah. And then, you know, life still has its ups and downs. And it's like, no matter what, at some point, I hopefully can get my ass back into, into a, a meeting room or can pick up the phone or whatever it takes. And it, it's not always an easy thing to do. It feels like kind of living the past over and over again. Yeah. I didn't know if that was something you kind of deal with. Like you put all this work into it. Yeah. Overall, the trajectory is kind of going like this. And you have but a it doesn't ever actually get better. You just get better <laughs> at living with it. And that's kind hard of, in right? itself. I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've sat sobbing in the deepest depths of my mind just crying about like why why me why am I somebody that has to because there are people that don't struggle with mental health that way you know and and I for a long time you know I had this why why me why am I the person that has to deal with this constantly and and I'm I why am I somebody that has to take medication for the rest of my life and why you know the the why me is of, of it all and um it is hard to know that you're constantly going to need to th- therapy and that you're constantly going to need, um, you know, some, you know, most likely some form of medication or, or help in some way, but, you know, through therapy, I've come to realize that every single person should go to therapy. Everyone in the world should go to therapy because it's going to save your relationships with other people and yourself and, um, even if you don't struggle with mental health, you know, necessarily therapy isn't just for that, you know, and I think that there, you know, there's a, a broader spectrum of what therapy can, can do for a person. And I think that there is not a person in the world that, that, that couldn't um, benefit from it. There's something very unique about having somebody who pretty much paid to keep their mouth shut, you know, provided you don't say certain things, but to be able to tell the truth and to to enact in a relationship where you get to practice these behaviors. That's what I get to do in in that, in that relationship. It's a, it's a, what she calls a non-sexual intimate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Not to to flatter herself. Yeah. (laughs) We get to to play these things out though. It's like, I get to maybe like not necessarily go in there and reenact something. It's real world stuff that I go in there with. And I get to be totally honest and just lay it out there. Um, there's the catharsis that feels good immediately doing so. And then there's sometimes it's like, I don't know, like a frustration, the fear when I find out that the whole thing I'm pissed off about is just the perception that I have. Yeah. It's not even reality. 
it's just an idea that came to my mind that took flight. And then I called that real. And how often am I doing that? You know, that's just one of the things I got to kind of learn about myself. It didn't stop that thinking. It's just like, you know, shit, here we go again. Like I'm frustrated and whatever. There's always a, a, a process for everyone. Um, but what do you do these days to, so you go to therapy, do you do any journaling? Do you do art therapy? Like, what do you do? Um, so I work out and I, um, spend a lot of time, you know, with my dog and, and things like that. Um, I've never, I have this, you should see the notes in my phone. I don't like journal anything like that, but like, I always have my phone with me. So my notes section of my phone is just a bunch of blurbs of like things you know and it, a lot of it's hilarious because it's just like and the, there was this one time I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this thought to throw a birthday party for my dog and so I grabbed my phone yeah. in the middle of the night and I wrote in my notes like birthday party for dog and then I put my phone down and went back to sleep and like I looked through my, and I'm like what the hell are you like it's so bizarre <laughs> but a lot of it is also like um you know little things that I like myself to read back on eventually or like um you know if I felt really good about this thing this day I write that down so that I have something to look back on and it's not just negative stuff like oh I today fucking sucks and I feel really I feel the darkness today or I feel you know really heavy today or whatever um but it's also things like today was such a good day and I felt you know really great and I had a great experience and I had a great interaction with this person and and you know it helps me remember that there are good days you know, and, and, and that even when I'm feeling like there's never been a good day or there's never going to be another good day and like it's so dark and, and, and confined in that, in that space in my mind that it feels like it's never going to be better than that. And it helps me to look back on those things and realize that there's a cycle, you know, you see the bad stuff and then you see the good stuff and then it helps you remember that, you know, it's going to happen that way, but it's not going to stay the way it is right now forever. And that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. I've always been able to somehow maintain hope. Like yeah. even, like, even however, maybe I'm just stubborn. I don't know. Yeah. Probably, probably more stubbornness than anything. Yeah. But there's always a notion that like one day could be just indescribably wonderful in a way that I can't even understand. And sometimes like I think about that and it makes me almost want to cry. I'm like, there's no way. Oh, it's very no emotional. Yeah. Yeah. But looking back on it, I just got to meet my nephew for the very first time, like I was saying before. And I mean, it's something changed, something changed in me when I met him. And like, it's, it's like, he's always been there in some weird way, but Uh it's just, you know, to have like a part of you just staring back at you. And I I, I imagine what it's like when a mother meets her child for the first time in some some little way. It's just like this, this light inside of me turned on that wasn't there before. It it was something that was completely missing and I didn't even know it was missing. And this spectacular day that come change the course of the rest of my life happened. And it it is emotional and it is something that it's full body and it's, it's, I mean, magic. Yeah, sounds like you're really able to appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, like, very much so. What, uh, are you looking to have kids? Like, sounds like you're kind of thinking about it, yeah. I know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as a woman, I think that, you know, there's always that pressure of, of you know, when are you going to have kids? And I'm I'm creeping on 30 pretty soon. I mean, it's, it's coming up, you know? And so, uh, growing up, everyone always made you feel like you had to have kids by 30. Like, 
you better do it before 30 because then you're in a geriatric pregnancy and then your kids are going to have, you know, mental, you know, problems or whatever. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they really put the pressure on, on females when it comes to pregnancy. Um, don't have them too young, but then don't have them too old either, you know, and there's all this pressure surrounding motherhood and, and when's the right time to, to do it. And, um, but my, you know, I, I feel comfortable in that, you know, into my thirties, I think is where, where that's going to happen for me, you know, and I'm happy that I had my twenties and, and that my twenties were exactly what they were. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my last year of my twenties and I'm looking back and I'm just, I'm so thankful for this chapter of my life and for exactly what it's been, but I'm so ready to, to close the chapter of my twenties and start my thirties. Cause I just, I, I feel like something, I feel the change happening. I really do. And it's, it's physical and it's, it's emotional and it's, you know, it's, it's all the things that I had always hoped it would be. Yeah. And, um, I just, I just know that the thirties are going to be my best yet. I just know it. It makes me think of the Tim McGraw song, my next 30 years. I love that oh, yeah. song. I <laughs> yeah. played that. I play that probably like a hundred times when I turned 30 and I was like, yeah. you know what? Like it's going to get better. It's going to get way better. And I mean, it didn't immediately. It took a, actually took a dive uh, with yeah. the opposite direction, but it does keep getting better. It really does. Like, I don't mean to be like, don't worry, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. But it, it's just like, as long as I'm breathing in and out and taking the next step forward, somehow things are going to kind of work out. Um, as long as you that. have grace with yourself that sometimes, like you said, it might not get better right away or there's going to be yeah. things that set you back. And, and I think that I spent so much time feeling sorry for myself in my twenties for shit that I had no control over, or maybe shit that I did have control over, but didn't have any grace for myself about. And yeah. I spent so much time hating all of those things that I did and all the things that, that, you know, ultimately I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am. And I mean, that sounds so cheesy, but I really, really would not be who I am had my life not been exactly what it was. And you have all that knowledge and all of that appreciation comes with age and experience. And, you know, had it been any different, I wouldn't be where I am and who I am. And, and, you know, as strong as I am, every single moment created this life for me. And I'm yeah. thankful for it all, every single bit. Yeah. Yeah. It all happens for a reason. Yeah. Cliche, super cliche, but it's yeah. like, but it's sometimes true. It's like, Can it be cliche? It's, like, it's true. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, every once in a while, like I have these moments where it, it it wasn't anything that I did. It's just the way things played out in a way that it was perfect. Like it was amazing. It actually happened very recently. Um, and I won't go into it because we're kind of near the end here. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So you went through some shit, and now you have like I know it sounds like you got a pretty cool life coming up. What what are you mm -hmm. doing next? Like you're about to finish school, or you still have some school left? Yeah, so I'm, um, first stop is to be a personal trainer. That's kind of um, where my life is immediately going. And then eventually um, I'd like to go back to college. I still have my GI Bill. And so I'd like to go to college and use it for, you know, either I'm kind of on the fence about, I, I, I want to do the personal training thing because I want to have something um, to fall back on in case nothing else works out for me. You know, I think that it's important to have something and I'm passionate about it and I can see myself doing that. Um, you know, I've also been very interested in, in psychology and the way that the brain works and the way that people respond to trauma and um, being an advocate for people, you know, through trauma and 
Um, I think that that has always been very um, calling to me. And so if I could use my chair though for something like that, um, if not, then probably exercise medicine just further what I already have going. And yeah. so, but I still have so much opportunity and um, I'm not the kind of person that can go to college online. So I will definitely have to wait until <laughs> college is in course because there's absolutely no way I could teach myself online college. There's absolutely no way. Yeah, it presented like a weird challenge and that challenge is I don't have to be on camera. I can be walking around the room like talking to the dog about my day and yeah. not actually paying attention. I didn't really work in my favor. Um, yeah, really that's how I, like, <laughs> I have to have somebody like really helping me understand, you know, and I, I just work better that way when I'm like, yeah. you know, involved in the learning and the learning isn't happening to me, but I'm, I'm the one doing the learning, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, with COVID, it's going to put things off in a distance for, for quite some time. So oh. it's just one of those considerations. Um, but you've already got, you already know what you're going to do. So, you know, you're just going to make it happen. It, you know, we already kind of touched on it. Like looking back on everything, it doesn't really sound like you change anything, but is there any advice that you give yourself? If you can go back at any point in your life. Oh God, there's so much advice. I wish I could tell my 21 year old self, um, that I that you're okay and that like it's it's all it's all matters you know and and that it's all for a purpose and just take the good with for what it is and take the bad for what it is and don't harp on yourself and you know I wish I could tell my 25 year old self that you're going to live through all the the trauma and and you know that it's it's not uh, it's not going to be the end of the world, and that you know the way that you view yourself right now isn't going to be the way that you view yourself forever. And and you know, and I think that ultimately the the biggest the biggest thing is that you are not your own enemy. Stop stop acting like your own enemy. Stop ruining your life because you think that you deserve it. You know, and and stop listening to all the little voices of all the people in your life that have told you that you're you know, not worth it. And that, you know, it's, it's everyone else's actions in, in my life kind of created the way that I thought of myself. And that only very recently started to change. And I only very recently started to realize that their opinions of me have nothing to do with me. And that, you know, it's their actions, you know, don't matter. And to just stay in my lane and you know, focus on myself and, and to give myself more grace than I have in the past and to more understanding and more acceptance. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, again, with the, with the cheesy cliches, but you really do only have yourself. I mean, I, that's, that's all, that's it. You know, you have yourself and you have the way that you view yourself and you have the love that you have for yourself and, and you can't, Put that responsibility on anyone else for a long time I, I expected other people to fill the love for me and I when I had none for myself and it was completely it was it was an unacceptable task to ask someone else else you know to have yeah. but I just I just want more for myself and I would I would ask for you know I would tell myself to give yourself more yeah I completely agree. It's like, I don't know if I've learned this lesson, but one of the more difficult concepts to kind of grow into is I could learn to love me. 
I have to, I have to love me or I'm going to keep punishing myself. Yeah. And you know, that worked for a little while, right? It got me through some really difficult times, but you know, it doesn't work anymore. It's, I was true with everything. What goes up must come down. And that, um, you know, that was true with my life. Like you said, that the, the, the punishment, the self-punishment, it, it worked for a while, but then it all comes crashing down at some point. Yeah. And when you've taught yourself to hate yourself for all that time, and then it comes crashing down and then there's nobody left because you've alienated everyone in your life, ruining your life because you felt like that's what you deserved. Yeah. And then yeah. So you, have, you have nothing and you're left with, you know, and, and yeah, it's, you're left with 22 people a day killing themselves or more, exactly. right? Exactly. You're left with people just living miserably. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm one of the lucky ones that I get to learn these things. Um, I think you're one of the lucky ones. We've got you back on climb four, which I think is yes. amazing. I know. And I'm so like excited you're to crushing it with all the grant writing. <laughs> like you send me that one. It's like you, you word so well, you know, it, it takes me time and I have to like use all these tools and everything and that you could actually like do it better. Thank God. And number two, like just take that off my plate and just, yeah, I'm so happy to do it. Honestly, I'm so happy to be a part of it. And I knew, um, and like, it it feels, it feels good when I sent that letter to Leslie and she was like, I knew you'd be so good at this because like, and I, it's just comes naturally to me. Like, I don't know if it's because I've been like bullshitting my whole life or what, but like, it's like, you know, I can, I can, (laughs) I can fill a lot of information and make it sound good and, and prepare it and working for, you know, two different legal offices, I feel like that's really helped with wording things and, and, um, you know, preparing documents. And so I'm so excited to be a part of it though. Yeah. We're happy to have you. Plus a lot of your stuff just comes right from the heart. Like it's not like yeah. some words in a paper that look, that string together. Well, it's yeah. like actually emotionally hits you. Um, yeah. that's I'm a very emotional person and I have no problem, um, showing that about myself and, and being transparent. And I think that that's very helpful because I think a lot of times, an emotional connection with someone is so much more important than anything else. As long as you have an emotional connection and you, you know, are raw and, and open people respond to that, that people really do respond to that. Yeah. They, they tend to become more raw and open. Yeah. Crazy. It frees them up too. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> You're a beautiful All right. Friend. No, stop it. Did we get that on camera? Okay. Yeah, cool. I think so. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop the recording, but thank you for coming on. Yes, of course. That'll wrap up another episode of the Climb Forward Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Feel free to visit us at www.climb-4.org. That is www.climb-4.org. From there, you can shop, you can donate, you can apply for gear, or you can just learn about the Climb Forward team. Take care.